to start with, thank you guys so much for coming on here. Um, as as you both know, I'm a huge fan of your guys' work. Um, and I have a lot of friends who are huge fans of, of your work. And we want to welcome you to Rad Country, which is our new podcast. We're, gonna, we're bringing you guys on so that we can make people more aware of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes of these huge, huge blockbuster movies that you guys have been a part of and started out, created. Um, I won't go through the long list. I'm going to let you guys kind of tell us what, what you've been a part of. Um, and Justin has done a lot of research the past few days, getting <laughs> caught up on all of your movies that you guys have been a part of. Yes. Um, I've lost so, so much sleep trying to uh, do research <laughs> and binge watch and all of that. So, oh man, it's wow! Uh, it's a crazy <laughs> world to start digging into. I'll tell you that. That's uh, it's fun though. It's fun. Oh, so much fun! Yeah, um, to have something new to binge is awesome. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> especially those because uh, you know some of those movies keep you up at night anyway, regardless. So. <laughs> Hey, Nick, really quick to share, a buddy of mine who lives literally across the street, a neighbor, sent me a picture yesterday, and this happens in Chad and I all the time. What do you guys think of this? And it's a house in Santa Monica that some renters were at where the TV kept going on and off. They walk down the hallway and walk into a really chilled two feet of the hallway, crazy noises. And he sent me a picture, and I'll send it to you guys. But he and his wife were sitting inside, and he just went, what the heck? And he takes his picture out through a balcony, and it reflects behind them this crazy image of it. It looks like somebody with long, straggly hair, and the eyes are kind of shifted on the face. I mean, it's a bean. It's a definite spirit. Really? And go, hey, you want to go into that house? You want to go in there with me? I'm like, why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a I've got a perfectly good house over here that's not haunted. <laughs> I could take pictures without that. I mean, no, it's so, so Justin and all your all your research, which thank you, I'm very flattered that you spent the time to do that. But this is like welcome to our world. This is this happens almost daily or or weekly of things coming our way because people, oh, you write so many of these kind of movies. This must really really interest you. We're like, I mean, you can't tell Carrie and I that the supernatural doesn't exist. We've just been witness to it. So yes, it it 100% exists. There are demons, there are angels, there are, we could go into it forever, but um, it's an interesting world that we've ventured into and we can get into how and why and what it is, but um, it, it's, Carrie Lee sent you that. I didn't know about that. There was uh, uh, David Jasby. Oh my God. He's a, he's a college professor <laughs> at, US, at UCLA. UCLA, yeah. <laughs> And he just, wow. he loves talking about this world, but he's like, oh my God, I'm like, I should share some stuff back to you. Anyway, you guys, you guys, you guys get going. We could just get into the weeds here. So how do we, how do we help oh. you and your listeners and let's see. Well, so I, I guess whenever I started out um, a long, long time ago, just watching movies in general, um, I wanted to take it back to 1986 where you guys are in a movie called Rad. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll yeah. never live that down. Ever. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, I've got recently I was like on Facebook, just kind of scrolling through and somebody had posted, I cannot find that DVD anywhere. And so I guess they never released it for DVD. Um, and then a 
um, a company called Vinegar something um, started, got a 4K HD version of it and started selling it, but they sold out like as fast as they had made like 200, 300 copies. So we're talking like cult classic now yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, that move. That movie came out about the same time as Gleaming in the Cube came out yeah. too. Mm -hmm. And I, f I felt like Gleaming in the Cube was what I grew up on, but I remember going to the store, renting Rad on VHS and watching it. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I remembered you guys. And it's funny because as life went on, then we crossed paths yeah. and, and here we are. But I just was curious, like your guys' experiences, Rex and Rod Reynolds in that, in that movie, what how did that kind of open up the doors for you um in the film side of things it was it was yeah. the most let me just interject really quickly it was the the director of that film was a guy named hal needham and hal needham started the stunt association for the film industry so he's a huge stunt man and he was partners with burt reynolds and smoking the bandit car uh they had a race car and nascar together. was their car. nascar and they did he did all the burt reynolds movies and Harry and I, as, as young actors in Hollywood, it was the first time we went into an audition into Hal's office, and he had two BMX bikes sitting in the corner of his office. And he, go, he goes, have you read the script? And we read the script, and yeah, did you like it? Yeah, we like it a lot. Yeah, you think you can play these guys? Yeah, I really think we can. He goes, can you guys go sit on those bikes over in the corner of the office? And I went, like, that's a strange request, but yes, we'll go sit <laughs> Not on the, the bikes. strangest, though. No, and, and so we sat on the sat on the bikes. He goes, yeah, you look good. Yeah, um, come on up to Canada next Friday. And we went, we have the job? And he goes, yeah, you got the job. I'm the director. I hire you. I just hired you. You have the job. And so we we're like, we didn't say a line. We didn't audition. We didn't do anything that you were just used to, but... It ended up being a, just a great experience. You filmed up in Cochrane, which is just outside of Calgary, Alberta. Um, we were up there for, I don't know what, Carrie, six, seven weeks. And we were with uh, Bart Connor, as you know, who had just won the gold medal as a, a U.S. Olympian. He was a gymnast, the, the lead guy. And um, anyway, it was, uh, it was great. Lori Loughlin, full circle, here we go. You know, she was starring in that movie. Um, but it was, it was a really great experience. The thing that made us really aware of how culty films can get is the amount of people i mean carrie and i that was so many years ago and carrie and i still get stopped and asked wow are you one of the reynolds from rad and, and, and they're always these kids like in their early 30s you know they grew up and they say i watched a movie 500 times every day. <laughs> <laughs> and you know every little detail every little it's like rocky horror picture show in the bmx biking world and then Shire was the producer and Talia was uh, Rocky Balboa's wife, you know, in all the uh, Rocky movies mm -hmm. and she and her husband. And it's, you know, we just literally, my wife and I were watching something the other night and it came across, you know, films to watch and Rad is on like Apple TV now. Like you can, you can rent it. And of course, it's, you know what's crazy, you guys, is we didn't know, honestly, when we shot that movie and then had, you know, no idea of the cult phone, never, ever, for years, until yeah. what Chad said, people started stopping us going, wait, were you guys a Reynolds? Oh my God, that was such an amazing movie. You know, it changed my life. It was, we're like, a bike movie changed your life? How <laughs> <laughs> it was like, but it was a great underdog story, you know? Yeah, it was it a was. great underdog yeah. story. 
and you saw never seen before stunts on BMX bikes, you know, which was different. It was really funny because the, the, the slope, the hell track, was that whole thing was built in, in Calgary to shoot there. And yeah. all of those professional BMX kids, none of them were brave enough to go down the face of that track. Like nobody looked at it and went, oh man, I'm gonna go get it. And then this young kid, one of the youngest kids had an idea and he put a ladder, a big ladder against it, like brought it up maybe halfway up, put his bike over his shoulder and then leaned against the wall and then dropped into it halfway down because had a big dip at the bottom. Everybody thought they were just gonna face plant right into the bottom and he, he goes off. And then he goes right away, right to the top of the track and everybody else is watching this little kid. He's like 11 years old. This kid was just so down, dropped down, and Hal, and Hal Needham, Hal Needham, I think Hal threw him like a couple hundred extra dollar bonus <laughs> you know, oh, nice. for, for doing it. And then you couldn't get him off that. Those kids just, oh my God, they kept going down it and down it. But he would always say, Hal would go, all right, I need somebody to bump into, or Rod and Rex are going to bump into somebody in the race, and we're going to knock them into the river. Who wants to make an extra hundred bucks? The hands go up, go up, go <laughs> in the river, you know. And so it was, it was fun. It was really, it was a fun experience. Chad and I, our, our families are Canadian. Our parents are from Canada. Uh-huh. So in Calgary, we had family. So when we yeah, went up there and we're shooting, we're interacting with our, actually our cousins in the movie in one of the, off the side in one of the dance sequences. But um, it was, you know, it was a great experience. But it's We've never lived that dance day. sequence down either. Oh, that's God. just been. But, that's <laughs> Uh, that's, that's, okay. Yeah, that's, my kids, my kids, the line. Never mind. My kids just oh. never forget that story. It's like, and those really it's cool good, LA outfits. But yeah. you know what, Nick? Nick, yeah. to to to, like you had asked a question about the influence of that. And Chad and I, early in our career, I mean, we started writing movies when we were 16 years old. And when we came to Los Angeles, we went to UCLA, and we pursued both careers at the same time: acting and writing. And the acting thing was great. We, we did every freaking twin role you could imagine uh, that came up, which was awesome. And then Ed and I said, you know, we're a little sick of being labeled as twins. Let's pursue our own acting careers. And then we never worked. That was and a big mistake. We, we had our gimmick as <laughs> and that was it. But, um, you know, I would say we parceled out some different jobs at different times. But um, there just came a, a crossroads in our life where we said, okay, we got to choose. We're not going to do both, you know, uh, um, and we just decided, okay, we're just going to focus on the writing and because we have way more control of that, you know, um, you know, as much writing as you want to put in is what you can get back and acting, you're waiting for jobs that writers create. So why not do that? that Yeah. Turned out to be a better choice, I think. I think I think so. (laughs) But you still have the great rad story to always. Oh my God. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So, hey, so, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so, no, I was just going to dig into your writing process. I think that's part of super fascinating to me. Uh, do you guys always write together? Is this something that you do separate and then, you know, kind of come together after that? It starts, off, uh, it starts off where Gary and I, pre COVID, of course, uh, although we've been together through this whole process, we created these little bubbles of our families um, that have been quarantined. So we're not worried about any sort of infection or anything, but Gary um, and I would get together, come up with um, a pitch, like we're about to go out with a pitch for a movie that we really want to make. Um, we spent a tremendous amount of time 
on the phone and Zooming, talking to each other, getting everything together. And this presumably would have been in a room to begin with. And we each have offices that we would go to each other's office and, um, and really, really hash it out, go out to a studio, pitch the idea, hopefully sell it to a studio executive. They order uh, the screenplay. And then we go back and we spend time together. And we write a very extensive outline together that is more for us than anybody else. But to any of your listeners that are wannabe writers, just spend the time on the outline because, you know, you can spend a week and go 10 pages in the wrong direction on your screenplay. And if it doesn't work in your outline, then you know it's not going to work in your screenplay, which is much shorter. So we do that. And then we literally just divide it up. One of us takes act one, one takes act two. We go home, we challenge ourselves to write at least five pages a day. So we have a first draft done in roughly a week and a half. But this is after spending a considerable amount of time developing the story. And then we have something tangible to work on that we really like. And then we just call it flipping. And we just literally read the draft in the morning, do what we call our pencil changes on OneNote, at the, you know, on the Microsoft Surface Pro, which is a, another yes, great yeah, annotate, annotate on the scripts freehand. Um, you can just write on them. And, and Karen and I can see them in real time, which is we can talk and go, see right here, this is the area of the script where I think the scene needs work or what have you. And then literally, we just do the pencil changes um, that afternoon and create a new draft to read the next day and the next day and the next day until we just feel um, that it's ready. I will tell you, I think a lot of our success has come from the fact that we don't turn in anything too early, that we literally don't turn in a first draft until it's actually ready to be shot. And so a lot of these executives will read it and they'll go, oh my God, there's, wow, we don't need a rewrite. We don't need to hire other writers. We, and I, I think that's just sort of been our rule and it may take us an extra three, four, 20 drafts, who knows, um, but just don't turn it in until it's ready. You know, where that, that thing where good enough isn't, you know, just good enough isn't. It's just what's the best you can do and then you want to fill in the draft in such detail that you can get movie stars. They have stuff to do. They feel like, wow, these are scenes that I can do. Or uh, a visionary director like James Wan, when we came on, and I wrote The Conjuring, and Warner's our New Line, where they loved it. They absolutely loved it. And they said, we're going after one guy. And if he responds, we'll be making this movie in two months or three months. And his name's James Wan. And Karen and I were very familiar with him. And he read the draft and he, he loved it, but he had a stipend that he wanted to sit down with Carrie and I and talk about things that he felt he wanted to change in the draft and how accommodating we would be, which is very normal in Hollywood. And if a writer isn't accommodating to the director, the director just brings on a new writer. It's like, like that. And so I'll never forget this. Carrie that from the experience. Yes. <laughs> That's how many times. <laughs> Wait, you want to change what? Huh? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it continues through production, but um, we met James for lunch and the meeting just went on at the same restaurant into dinner because we just literally stayed there through lunch and dinner and just got on so well. And, and um, collaboratively, we just felt like we all made the screenplay even better. And so, um, and that was our experience on The Conjuring. Game. It was really, really fantastic, really fun. And, on movies like The Conjuring, are you guys really involved in the actual filming part? Um, uh, Nick, to answer that question, yes, we were on the first Conjuring. 
Um, we relocated, shot that in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina for about three months. Um, Chad brought his, his son, Dylan. I brought my son, Connor. And the four of us shared a house at Wrightsville Beach. And uh, it's such a funny story because um, we had been there, vacation there. We had friends that lived there. So we we're very excited to go there. But when they were finding a place for us to stay, they said, where do you guys want to stay? And we said, Wrightsville Beach. And they go, ooh, God, that's pretty far from the studio. And we're like, wait, how far is it? And they go, oh, God, that's like a good 15-minute commute. <laughs> and we're like we live we live in los angeles man it takes an hour and a half to get anywhere it's like what yeah. are you talking about it was funny but um, um we were there and we we're on set every single day uh, we yeah. built the house uh inside of a soundstage and the basement in a separate soundstage so we can just control it all the time uh they had a drape uh uh, uh what's it called a something a drape cloth around the entire house, which was picture a 360 degree photograph of outside the house. So anytime you looked outside a window inside the stage, it matched the trees, it matched the, the lake in the back of the actual house where we shot all the exteriors. And um, it was such a great experience, man. Everybody got along really, really well. The, uh, the five daughters uh, that were all cast as the five daughters um, um, were, were awesome. Chad and I would, Host a uh, oyster fest because we Sundays, love yeah. oysters out here on the west coast. You 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 uh, eat them raw. Yeah, you know, yeah. east coast you gotta you gotta like do them in, in water like clams because they're wow. in warm water. So, but we we're like people would say you can go go get where do you get oysters and you buy a bushel of oysters like hundred plus oyster for twenty five bucks or bucks yeah. for thirty. And we're like, what, are you kidding me? And, uh, we would. Um, we would host on Sundays these little oyster fests at the beach house, beach place we were at. And one of our producers had another friend in town who was producing a different movie. And he said, hey, can I bring my buddy? And so this other producer, we won't mention any names, this other producer shows up and he's like looking around. He goes, let me get this right. He goes, you guys work together all week and you spend the weekends eating together and doing this. And well, like, yeah, we do this. Everybody gets along. He goes, I hate everybody on my set. Any more time with them. But um, I think all in all, it was such a, a new line. Executives came out for a couple weeks at the beginning, but they just they just let us do what we were all doing. And um, James's diligence, we would really get together and talk about um, upcoming scenes. Can we change anything? Can we make it different? And it Always going to make it. Our first time, Chad's my first time of literally being involved from the beginning of a movie to all the, the way to the end of the movie, all the way through the screen testing and the success of the movie. And it was by far one of the best rides I think we've ever been on. Well, it's an awesome movie in general. Like I, I've loved it. I've watched it probably a hundred times. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, my, my, I guess my, like my question is too, like on those films, whenever you're filming it, is it, to us, the viewer, um, it's creepy. Everything is really creepy about it, you know, especially playing hide and clap, um, those scenes. Whenever you're filming those or on set, is, is that, does it get creepily overwhelming for like the actors, you guys, or is it just, hey, we're here, we gotta do it a hundred times, and then by the end of it, you're just like, it's not really anything to us? Hey, Nick, sometimes it's really cool. Sometimes you can feel the tension um, when, 
when it's really going well, you know, and you have good actors that kind of pull you in, just to put it in your heads, like you guys are on, we're all on video with you right now and you got your headsets on. So we create what's called a, a video room um, on set. And so there will be like us four are all part of the movie. We're not on the actual set where the actors are, we're next door. There's a wall that divides us. So this video village moves around. It allows us to watch it in real time and you're listening. So yeah, there's like, oh my God, that's really working. That's just, that's freaking great. I'll, I'll share a little story. Lorraine Warren, who's just, you know, since passed away, but an awesome, awesome woman. Karen, I spent a tremendous amount of time uh, with her and we got onto the set and she had never been on a movie set before. And it's, if you remember in the scene when Patrick Wilson is looking for Vera and she's down the hall, down the wall and he's screaming out, Lorraine, Lorraine, Lorraine. Lorraine Warren is sitting in between Karen and I in the video village and we're about to take that scene. And James is like, action. And Pat's like, Lorraine, Lorraine. And she goes, I'm in here, honey. Honey, I'm in here. She's completely <laughs> separate from the movie. And we're like, oh, Lorraine, you can't. She did it again the next time. And then she finally understood that, oh, this is like a scene. They're not really calling yeah. her. You know, hey, so Jen, if I can yeah. interrupt, because I mean, to answer your question, I think one of my favorite moments was, and this was tons of people on set, Billy King's lying in bed, and this is, there's something behind the door. She wakes up oh, her yeah. sister, right? And we were all standing off camera, and Joey King, Killed I'm watching it. her act, and she's looking at the door, but she's so convincing, you know, and, and she probably had to, I mean, we covered that 25 different ways. I mean, from, from the rolling shot under the bed, I mean, all of that stuff. And, and, and that was the one time when she, when they wrapped her for the night, the entire crew applauded her. Just yeah. said, oh my God, we knew, we knew it because they gave me chills. There's nothing behind the door. Very, also <laughs> behind the door. But she's it's so awesome. good. She's convincing us all. There's something behind. Well, the door. that girl has gone on to do amazing work. I mean, she's so yeah. immensely talented. All the girls were really talented. We kind of, um, you know, she 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 had the scenes where she could really shine. You know, there was a lot for her to do. But you bring up another memory when Karen and I were in Australia, and we don't have credit on this movie, but we worked on San Andreas, uh, the earthquake movie with Ken Johnson years we were down in australia during the entire filming of that movie and when wayne was trying to bring um alexandra daddario back to life when she found on the boat and he was so emotional in that scene uh, and here we are in a sound stage with a green screen and they're on a boat that's on a gimbal that's swiveled. there's nothing real about it at all other than these effects but you're watching on this monitor I remember getting very cheerful at that moment, like being a dad and having kids, but the idea of that was going through his mind. And he's also a father as we all know, but um, and yeah. not even on a scary moment, but on an emotional moment. Yeah. So yeah, it's really, God, it's just, you know it's what? Awesome. Uh, it's in a great way. Alexandra walked off after they were done and she walked by, I was on, on the set that day and she looks at me and she goes, that was intense because she's pretending to be out. And she said, all I can do is feel his tears hitting my body. And she had to just be so like, you know, comatose because he's bringing her back. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's like that, that, that are very rewarding as writers, because when you, when you, you know, Chad and I write what's in our head, you know, it's just, it's the dialogue, it's the scene, it's the scare, 
you know, scares are like comedy. It's all in the setup. It's all in the pacing. Then bang, what's the reveal? Who's the villain? All of that stuff. But when you get actors that that take your words or even modify them or massage them into something that that is so memorable, you know, it's Joey King in that scene we wrote out with, but how she did it was was awesome. And it's the most rewarding thing for me to be in a movie theater and go, oh, Chad and I were in the backyard writing that scene on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it. Look how it turned out. You know, you know it's amazing, yeah. too, is, is sometimes when the actors, uh, when the really good ones, they, they know their roles so well. And Karen and I got approached on The Conjuring separately by Patrick Wilson and, and Ron um, uh, Livingston saying they both felt like something was missing from the connection to each other's character, which was really so interesting. Karen and I started thinking about it, and then we go, you know what, we, we, they're right, and this is the advantage of having writers on set, because you, you develop the relationship with those actors, you understand their approach to the characters. And we, and this is when we came up with the carburetor scene in The Conjuring, because that's the two dads talking to each other about each other's lives, and it just made them so human. And connected, and, yeah. And connected, and yeah. that just came from two really great actors, feeling the need for something a little bit more. And this is why we love being on set because we would have missed out on that. Or a producer would have called us in LA and said, Oh, Ron or Pat or this. And they're, and they're like, Oh wait, how much is that going to cost? You know, we do you know Hey, let's, let's, be, let's be honest for a second. I mean, as writers, you're staring at your writing partner for one thing, but you're staring at a computer screen and words all day long. So the reward, is the journey of movie making. We love making movies, you know, and starting from a, just a, a little pot, you know, that grows into something. But I mean, we've been, Chen have been so fortunate. We've written miniseries in Germany. We've been to India. We've been to Romania. We've been South America. We've been so many places because of the writing and the opportunities that it, that it gives us. Terry and I have a moment where someone took a picture of us and we were in Transylvania and we were by Vlad's castle in Transylvania. And we were shooting a movie called Crucifixion. And uh, we looked at each other and we go, I'm actually getting paid to do this right now. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> to do this. I mean, this is like, we've never felt like it's work. It's like we were so fortunate to turn our passion into a, a, a living, you know? And we really try to encourage anybody out there is just, if you find your passion, you will find success because it stops being work and you love it so much. Sometimes our wives are like, you've been at it 16 hours today. Come on, you know, let's, let's go. Or sometimes Carrie and I will be on a holiday together with our families and we just start breaking a story because it just starts happening. And, and our families have actually really grown to like it. And we we um, ask for their opinions probably too much, but the because uh, our kids are so honest that nah, that kind of sucks, you know, or whatever. But it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's just a, a very fortunate thing. But Justin, I, I wanted to throw a question your way because you had done all your homework, you know, on us yeah. as yeah. Yeah. On, on our films. And this is by no means being um, even specific if you don't have an answer. But I'm curious, out of, out of our body of work, did you have something that was your favorite that stuck out as like, um, wow, I really identified with that or I love that? or Yeah, so... So I'm super fascinated by the creative experience or the, the process itself. And so when I was going through and researching all the work you guys did on The Conjuring, uh, you ended up creating an entire universe of work. Uh, so, so much came out of that. 
And that's the most fascinating part to me, uh, to answer your question. And the question that comes to mind for me, and I pulled uh, an older interview. I found one kind of deep in the internet with you guys. And <laughs> you explained uh, the thing that makes it special for you specifically on The Conjuring, uh, what the interview was about. I think it was actually maybe part two, but you explained it in terms of a roller coaster and how you can't have a roller coaster full of twists and turns and upside downs. You have to build some suspense and things like that. And it made your movies specifically really, really good. Uh, so I just, ah, like I said, it's a creative process and I really just want to dig into more of that. You know, um, Justin, you need to always have pockets of air to breathe in because you're right. You know, you just people, people write these horror movies and it's one thing after the X and next and next and you just start becoming numb. So you don't build that tension. You know, when we did the original Conjuring uh, uh, and created the Artifacts Room, we looked at that Artifacts Room as there's our universe. We get to open that up into whatever, you know, different types of movies, Annabelle movies, Crooked Man, Nun, all of that stuff. But you're absolutely right. And, and, and we use that analogy all the time about you know, the train. It, it, it's, it's almost like guilty pleasure watching a horror movie and writing a writing a. a Roller coaster. roller coaster because you know you're safe you paid your money you know you're going to be scared but at the end of it you're going to walk out and go ah i either want to do that again or i want to go try a different ride so when you the, the, the great thing is like if you break down a movie into into the teaser and act one and act two and act three and structure that when you get on that you know that roller coaster your teaser is somebody said oh i already wrote that man that is scary 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 you got to go do it but when you get on it and you're going, that first one, man, you're waiting for it. And then you're dropping your stomach ends up in your throat. And you're going, oh, my God, this is going to be a ride. You get hit with a couple things real fast. And then, oh, okay, okay, okay. We're going up another one. up. Gary, you know what? You guys, I'll share with you. When we were doing press for Conjuring 2, they – uh, Brock, Carrie, and I, they usually take over a floor of a hotel and they'll put different press uh, personalities, you know, in a big round table, pull out all the furniture. And so you're literally going to 20 rooms every four or five minutes. You're switching up to meet with journalists and writers and interviewers and all that kind of stuff. And at the end, Karen and I walked in and there were two chairs and there was just a reality um, a headset that you put VR, on. VR, VR set. VR. Yeah, yeah, virtual reality. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, what we didn't know <laughs> is they were filming Carrie and I, and they sat us down in the chair, and they're playing a, a scene from Conjuring 2. And it was so intense because you were in the set, and it's as if you're being approached by the nun, and we both wrote it. We were like, wait, where is that thing? <laughs> and then we saw the film afterwards, and we looked like so chicken. It was, it was crazy from even that. Know, having written it and hey, does she come up the stairs or is she at the door <laughs> it was hysterical it was and that that made it actually really fun to actually be in in the the, the mindset of, of being in that kind of a film um you know again it's a good actor that that can you know portray that do you know what else is, is incredibly uh rewarding is to go opening weekend and randomly go through oh, theaters yeah and watch the audience reaction to the movie on the screen. So Chad and I'll go, 
get in the very back and we'll just watch the audience and we know what's coming, right? So it's fun to watch people gripping their chairs or whispering to each other or screaming at, don't go in the basement. And it's just, it, it just brings Jerry, so Jerry, Jerry, uh, we were with the first Conjuring. Um, we were, it was on opening night. It, James was already filming um, Fast That's and Furious true. and he was in Atlanta. And the opening night, uh, we got a call from New Line and they go, get your asses down to the studio right now. This is crazy. And they're, at that time, they weren't on the lot. They were next to this cool uh, restaurant um, that, uh, that we all met in. And they called, we live in Malibu, and it was like a two-hour drive to get in there. And they were on, on a Friday night. night. It's because it the movie was just – they knew it was going to be a massive hit just from Friday night and the numbers that were coming in. But we all celebrated, and we – Instagram was just nonstop, just on the thing oh, you couldn't – Twitter. Stop and, Twitter. Uh, Twitter, I mean. And then um, we called James from the restaurant – and he was just so bummed he wasn't there. And part of the thing, he goes, I'm flying in tomorrow. We're doing this again tomorrow night. We're all going to meet at a restaurant. So we go to, he flew in from Atlanta. We all met at another restaurant. We're just celebrating. It was just the most wonderful event to just have that kind of, uh, you know, a success happen. And then he goes, oh, my God, let's go to the Burbank, blah, blah, blah this movie chain over in Burbank. AMC, AMC. So we all hop in our cars. Producers are with us. They go and they talk to the manager. Look, here's the 15 people that kind of put this movie together. Uh, they just want to come in and see audience reaction. And the manager, he was like, wait, wait, can you, uh, James, Carrie, and Chad, can you guys just go introduce your film in front of the audience? He goes, we are completely sold out and you have about five minutes before it starts. So we're like, yeah, we'll go do that. We walked in with James. The guy gave us a thing. There's 600 people in one of those bigger theaters. And people just couldn't believe that, A, it's James won. I mean, they didn't really know Carrie and I, but um, we introduced the movie and then we're all waiting to go into another theater and check it out. And one of the movies is almost over and this girl goes dashing out the theater and her boyfriend's running after her and she's just like, terrified, absolutely terrified. And I'm not watching any more of that movie. I'm not, Carrie stops her, goes up to her. And, What's the matter? I'm, I'm too scared. I'm not going back in. And Carrie goes, he kind of whispered to her how the movie was going to end, you know, like there's a happy ending, there's no this, blah, 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 and actually convinced her just go back and watch the rest of the movie because now she knew what was going to happen. And it was, it was really awesome to see. And her boyfriend was so thrilled because he was bummed he was missing the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember uh, whenever you guys or whenever they put out on Facebook the virtual reality, like you could walk around the upstairs in that house on Conjuring 2 and the nun like randomly because you're like, oh, geez, there she is. And like, get out of here. Like, I don't want to see this. Uh, that was probably the freakiest part of the Conjuring 2 is because originally that's Valak, right? The the uh, horse body boy. That's what the demon actually is, I guess, portrayed at. But so what? Where was the idea for our nun? Like, where did that come from? Just like, I think it was the, the biggest blasphemy against faith, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, and, and, uh, and how do you take something that represents peace and tranquility and, and, a, and a faith and nurture and all of that, and especially in a female's point of view, because, you know, it's, it's against Lorraine. I mean, Lorraine <laughs> is the female president. She's the, 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 the matriarch, you know, and she's got the, the vision and the, and 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 it was also they they had some weird stuff happen at their house one time and uh, so it was like what was the visionary and you know a complete opposite 
of of uh, an animal. What's the ultimate wolf wolf in sheep's clothing? Uh, you know, deceit yeah. often hides behind the garments of the holy. I mean, we've all experienced that through our lives of all the you know the unfortunate things that happen behind church curtains and clergy clergy and all that kind of stuff. So you know, your most trusted figure is generally a religious figure, and in our conjuring world, is we go to the church for help. Uh, Ed Lorraine made a, a career out of it, never collected a dime. I mean, Ed basically was an artist is how he made their money when they first started. And he, he painted would, haunted houses. He painted haunted homes. And then they would knock on the door and say, oh, by the way, your house is haunted. And this is what's inside of it. <laughs> and he ended up selling a lot of paintings. And in the Conjuring, the first Conjuring, all those paintings in the artifact room are in fact his paintings. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, which is really, really neat. Um, but anyway, it was, uh, it, yeah, now they're doing the second Nun movie, and, um, and then they're, the next spinoff is uh, The Crooked Man, and then, as we all know, Annabelle 3, you know, the third one of that came out. Um, and Karen and I really look to, um, we love writing true stories. You both have been on the internet. You both know these experiences of the parent family and stuff, so people can realize, like, God, this stuff really exists. These guys aren't just making it up. If anything, we have to pull back a little bit because it begins to feel not very truthful if there's too much in there. And so we weeded through a lot of those experiences with the with the young girls. The original parent girls came to the set, at the, at the exterior set, and Cindy, the youngest one, <clears throat> They were, they're all adults now. They all came walking around. It was the scene where we were filming Bathsheba hanging from the oak tree, uh, from that big tree, and yeah. Rain yeah. sees it, and Ed doesn't. But we actually had uh, Joe Bashara, who's the composer, plays Bathsheba. He's a, a Matt and Bolt film. He plays, he plays all the villains in the movies, and he's the composer of the film. He's just great. He's in Insidious and Conjuring, and he and James are very close. But um, young girl... The girls walk around the corner of the house. Karen and I are with them. The youngest girl literally saw that and just freaked out and collapsed to the ground, turned her back to it, and got up and just walked and just, I'm, and it was just, it brought back just not good memories for her. And that's, that's, you know, you don't get that on the internet, but you sure see that in person. And for someone to be as scarred as that, those, those were real events that happened to this family. And in truth, a family, stayed in that house for nine years, which was oh, the biggest question. It's like, why? And then but our job is we have to tell this movie in a hundred minutes, you know, so we have to condense it down and audiences always want to know. It's the biggest question. Why don't you just leave, just leave and get out of there. So in every one of these films, you have to answer that question. The parents had no money. They're a family of seven. Who's going to take them in? Where do we go? What do we do? Money is really super tight. Um, we try to give those reasons and then, you know, um, condense the, the storytelling time so it feels more real time in shorter periods, basically. Yeah, and I think I think even for the dad role in that movie, you know, anybody that owns a home knows that, hey, I'm going to stand my ground here. Like, I paid for this. Like, I'm not just going to up and leave just because there's a, a ghost or whatever. Yeah, it's going to freak me out. I have, well, you also I, have the dark side of, uh, of, of, this, of this world creates wedges in families. Like they don't all unitedly see the same thing. It's like with Ron Livings, you know, with 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 Roger Perrins is the character he's playing. We purposely kept him as an outsider. So what? Wait, what's happening here? You know, and and so many times in these other movies, there is a very it, it focuses on one person, 
you know, create, uh, you know, crack that, uh, that bond chip that they have and just get that wedge of evil working one against the other. And then is it psychological? Is it real? Uh, those are the fun things to be able to start playing. Uh, they, actually, it's a formulaic in, in most horror movies anyway. Yeah. Um, what's, the, what's the draw to horror genre? Is it that? that I could just see your audio is going out. I can't hear you. Your audio. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So are, are we good now? Oh, it's going in and out. That's weird. Is it that ghost that's right behind you? Interfering? It could, it could be. Yeah, that's better. What is the uh, what's the draw to horror? Is it that that feeling that you get on set when it's you know you have this gut adrenaline thing going on? Or you said earlier that you had your own experiences. Is that is that what keeps you there? Yeah, I think um, Chad and I. I mean, geez, we wrote Disney Channel movies and movies of the week and Happy Family stuff and all of that. And we did a, a, a movie a long time ago, it came out in 2005 called House of Wax. And it was our first like scary type of movie where uh, it was a pretty brutal movie, to be honest with you. But um, it was a title, it was an open title at Warner Brothers that they were looking for writers to come in with a story and we went, ah, yeah, listen, we had an idea in our head and they bought it and we made it. And then suddenly we were scary writers. You know, we weren't Disney writers anymore. People and that, that rolled into what we do after it did whiteout and the reaping and then um, started getting other things. But I think the deeper Chad and I got into that world, it is a really interesting world to write because, you know, your villains aren't usually people. You know, they're, they're demonic in nature. They're an apparition. They're a ghost. They're a spirit. Um, we got uh, the chance, Chad and I did the prequel to The Omen for Fox um, that I think they're actually going to be making now. And for us, I was like, whoa, where's Damien come from? You know, it just, it tapped. It was challenging. It was challenging in a fun way. It's just, you know, it, like anything creative, it's, it's it, just challenge yourself, right? And you either do it or you don't. And it's sort of like a sports activity. Can you make the shot or... And you're not. How much you practice? And we've been at it for a while. But what we've started doing now is to um, after San Andreas, we did. Uh, we got to go into an arena that we loved, which was really huge, very expensive action films, which is really great. Um, we're doing. I just got hired by MGM. We're to uh, do the, um, an adaptation of a Frank Reddy book called This Present Darkness, and it came out like 25 years ago. That is deals with angels and demons and humans and the church. And I, it's all, it was so interesting. I remember when I read it that long ago and uh, we're doing it with a friend um, who was an equal, um, he liked the book just uh, as much as we did. And then the head of the studio came in and, uh, and he was a fan of the book. So that all kind of worked, but that's, that's a chance to do a big expensive thing. Um, we're, we're putting together, as I mentioned earlier, pitch right now, that we're super excited about but the studio as part of the pitch is like, can you make it into a ride? Think about that when you're coming up with your idea, like Jurassic Park became a ride at, at Universal. And we were like, oh yeah, we'll I'll do that. That sounds amazing. I just so much fun. You know, it's, it's the challenges that you just kind of, you, we don't get everything, you know, but we, we love, we love the idea of trying, you know, and, and just, I also think that, that what Chad said earlier about uh, true stories resonate with us. And it's almost like a, a, um, 
a viewer, an audience member that goes to the movie to watch it, us being at the forefront is, is worthy, the viewer who gets to investigate it, to find out what we want to put on it. Like when we did, we did a rewrite of the movie, The Entity for Fox. And that was right here in Culver City in Los Angeles. And you read about Dolores, I can't remember her last name, um, but to, to, to what this woman went through and, and, and it was an entity, you know, it wasn't even a being per se. It was a, just some weird spirit and what it did to her and the witnesses and all that. I feel like that's our movie. You know, that's the one that we're seeing before we write. So it, it kind of sucks us into that world. And I think we started to find it very intriguing to be able to do that. But at the same time, you know, we bounce out and we, did a Western. We did a smoke jumper movie. We've done, we've done different things because they're fun to write. We, we did, we did really fun. We did uh, McLean, McLean, we did the prequel to Die Hard. So we got to tell you where the Bruce Willis character came from. How did he meet his wife? Where did yippee Kaye motherfucker come from? Oh, like, sorry. Probably oh, you're, you're good. Oh, you're okay. You're good. Uh, where, where all that came from. And it was just fun. It was really, just really, really fun. And, where you're gonna have it take place and how much action and we got to see how he became a cop you know it, it's like if you did a prequel to lethal weapon you know like what would be the movie before you met Riggs before he tried to you know kill himself because of his wife uh passing and stuff like that but i mean that's the fun of our job it's like every 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 job is different it's just different in a yeah. different way but, you know to answer your question nick on the which periods that we started on House of Wax and had some success early on. And so you become those go-to writers and then you, you develop relationships because you may not get credit on movies, but sometimes you're hired to come in and work for two weeks or three weeks on a film just before production uh, to amp up the scares, uh, make the dialogue more centric to, to a particular character that you've enhanced and, and stuff like that. So through that comes relationships and then those people, hey, what else you got? You know, what do you guys want to do? Um, New Line said to Carrie and I after the success of, it was San Andreas, right? Carrie, we did after that. Yeah, we, we did after oh, Country, we did Redemption as yes. a big, big action Western movie. I mean, big action. And then, then, then Toby Emmerich was at a New Line and he goes, he goes, uh, don't take this the wrong way, but I was really surprised by how good the script is. And we're like, what? <laughs> no, you guys write, really? I didn't expect genre writers to be able to write big action movies. And then that's when he said, hey, will you take uh, a look at this other project San Andreas, called San Andreas, yeah. a big earthquake movie? And uh, and so we, we looked at that one. Yeah, this is what we would do to that movie. And um, and then that's what we did, got Dwayne Johnson on board and the rest is history. So, you know, it's just kind of, fun to, to not eat the same food all the time called horror candy let's let's eat some other kind of candy that tastes just as good yeah do you have any specific rituals that you kind of go through as you start your process uh, other than just this please <laughs> <laughs> uh you know what i think you know you know what we do we, we have a celebration ritual that we did forever whenever we had a film ordered or a script ordered when our kids were younger and because our kids all love seafood, we would do these big family seafood feasts of, you know, expensive crab legs and, and oysters and all that kind of stuff. And 
and champagne and, and we, it's another thing I would like for your listeners to also know is to, you know, you always got to celebrate the moments because you can't play a result. And so if today you're really happy, you know, you have a lot to give thanks for and be happy for that day. There's people in our business that are like, yeah, I'll be really stoked when we actually start production. And then I'll, no, I'll be really stoked when we finish production. No, I'll be stoked when we get a good cut. It's like, oh my God, you're missing all these celebratory moments, you know, in between, which is kind of life, you know? It's just really just focus and appreciate the achievements because, you know, every step takes a journey, okay? And that journey is a process. And there's a lot of fun steps in that journey, not just the end result when the journey's over. And then it's like, oh, well, what was all, oh, yeah, I guess that was really fun, you know, or whatever. But it's, it's been important to us. So I think more of a, a, of a ritual is, is just really being super appreciative. Um, you know, we've been in locations before where we have relied on prayer, to be honest with you. Like we were in India doing a lot of research in some very dark stuff and we just prayed for protection, you know, um, that none of this would um, infiltrate into our lives. Uh, we were in a, um, uh, before COVID hit, we're doing another project in Louisiana on a haunted house down there and Chad and I stayed in the house because we yeah. wanted to write the movie and had just, oh, it's the only time I brought holy water with me because I knew <laughs> what I was kind of getting into. Uh, and then again, some things happened that we had to really pray hard, but I feel well, like- again, it's based it's based on a true story. It's one of the most haunted homes in the world. Karen and I were so aware of it because we've been to New Orleans so many times and it's on the Lori house and it's on the haunted field. And turns out that uh, the guy we know owns that house. He bought it for after Nick Cage lived there. And we went down with uh, four other, three other guys. And one of the guys who's a dad um, will never step foot back in the house again, ever, just after an experience. And uh, Karen and I never experienced anything negative there, although his was very negative. Um, but we experienced a boatload again you can't tell me it doesn't exist when you see it in your own eyes and you wake up to a house that is suddenly covered with it's like little feathers on a 15,000 square foot home you know it's like what does this mean i don't i don't know what it means you know <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. or the sound of a baby crying all the time and the house is so big doors opening rattling closing i actually i woke up and saw a ghost yeah, that was a man wild. standing at the foot of my bed that I wasn't I wasn't frightened for some reason. I was looking at him and I was trying to go, what time period? The house is over 200 years old. But I'm like, what time period is this guy from and how he's dressed? And it was kind of in the 70s-ish, dressed that way, 80s maybe. It's like how my dad would dress with gray slacks and this kind of green, forest green shirt. And uh, it turns out uh, when I told the housekeeper, I was seeing this man I had seen, she kind of blanches and she goes, it sounds like my husband who died here. And she goes, I feel him, but I've never seen him. And she pulls out a picture. And I go, oh, yeah, that's, that's the guy I saw. I mean, but people have had so many different sightings inside this house. Um, good and bad. Good and mm-hmm. bad. Anyway, I didn't so- no, so we bought our house probably four or five months ago. It was built in the 60s. And um, there's two like attic crawl spaces 
upstairs. Bad start, David. Bad, bad start. Bad, bad. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> My first reaction is like, hey, let's go in. <laughs> so we found the uh, rolled up Declaration of Independence and uh, uh, soldier's discharge paperwork from like 1901. Or 1924, so World War One time frame. Wow! 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 And so one of the like the creepiest things that has happened so far, which I'm from where I'm from, like the uh, Missouri area that I'm from. There's a lot of different like you have the Velisca Axe Murder House, um, all that random stuff. And so I'm I'm kind of used to this, but one night I was just kind of laying on the couch, and we have two 11 and 12 year old boys that live there so used to hearing kids laugh and all this stuff um but i heard a kid laugh and i was like hey you know i just kind of was like talking to nobody that was there but i was like hey you should go to bed it's already like one o'clock and i was like nothing happened and then i walked into the room and the kids are both in their beds asleep and i'm like oh, here we go the amityville horror i'm gonna <laughs> have to go down to the basement <laughs> And start watching a TV that's not on. <laughs> it, it, it and then Nick heard. Yeah. <laughs> no, that would no, be okay. Have, it just happened to my wife and I a week ago. We live in a 110-year-old uh, home here in Los Angeles. It's a cal it's a craftsman. So it's it's really super cool. I love it. And I and my wife is very intuitive and, and we've never felt anything negative being in here at all. And we were in the kitchen the other day. We both turned around to a woman's voice, like in the corner of the kitchen. We both turned at the exact same time. And the air conditioning was on, the windows were closed, all of that. And we kind of looked at each other and go, oh, you heard that, right? <laughs> you heard that. And it was like, yeah, nothing else since that. The clearest day, yet we can't, I, neither one of us could tell what she was saying. It was just clearly a woman's voice saying something that, like would have been from someone behind you, you know, and then you turn around and say, I beg your pardon, or what'd you say, or, you know, something like that. But the only instance here, I had my first ghost encounter when I was 22 and Carrie and I were living in a house in LA and um, we're going to UCLA and it was on a canyon. And I woke up to a, a very large man sitting on a, on a planter box inside the room. It sounds weird, but it was an in, inside planter in the master and it was backlit by the moon. And, uh, and my dog at the time was in my room and my dog was staring at him at the exact same time I was. And I was like, who are you? What do you want? What are you doing here? You know, it was clear as day. And I remember cause he was bald and he kept trying to cross his legs. So he was so large. He had to hold his leg across his other leg, you know, just very distinctive movements like that. And then I woke up and I told Carrie, Oh, the weirdest dream last night. This is like really freaky. There was this this dude in my room and blah, blah, blah. It turns out Karen and I, it, it, the home used to belong to a movie star. And uh, three months after that encounter, we actually met her at a neighbor's house and she's the woman that built the house. And where I never forget walking up the stairs to the second level, passing by her and someone told Karen, and I, oh yeah, there's a screen. And so we were introduced and we just started chatting to each other on the stairs. And she goes, have you met Henry? And we go, I don't know Henry. He's the ghost that lives in the house. He's, he's this very large, bald man. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And so 
there it goes. And yeah. you just, and so it's so easy to pass it off as, oh, that was a weird dream or that didn't really happen. And um, Karen and I are working on another project right now that deals with the guy uh, who was a UFO abductee. And there were four eyewitnesses to him disappearing for four hours. And uh, we're putting a TV series together around him and this other character. But when we first met him, it was just like this, I got to hear. I've got to hear this. And then, <laughs> you know, and then it's, as it turns out now, he's probably one of the most visited human beings by, you can't, again, there have been eyewitnesses to orbs flying in the sky, to ships coming out over the ocean. So you, you can't tell us that that doesn't exist. And, and anyone says our government is trying to hide it. Yeah, they are, because they've been researching it for a very, very long time. And Chris is actually part of, a bunch of government programs, you know, and it, anyway, that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. We'll figure that one out. But um, <laughs> it, it's just the, being open to all this otherworldly stuff. We just don't, um, we don't say no to anything anymore. Seriously. It's like people have had these personal experiences, profound experiences that have really changed their lives. Chris in particular, this abductee was dying of Crohn's disease. And after his abduction, it disappeared from his body. And he claims his encounter was with angels, not aliens. And uh, I mean, like really interesting stuff. Uh, and there's so many of these people that have encountered all this kind of thing. So anyway, that's when I just go back to, wow, I identify with it because you're a human being and you had a profound experience. And what was that experience? And, you know, people that have died and gone to heaven and come back to, you know, tell you, wow, heaven's a real place. I was there hell you know and this is what i experienced so it's um I, it's one of the challenges as, as a creative filmmaker on picking and choosing what stories you want to tell because they're all they're all so great you know um yeah. Harry and i moved into producing films now there's just not enough time for us to write everything so we've come across a handful of writers that we find to be really talented and we've been developing those other stories that we don't have time for but we're attached as a producer on them and that's been a that's been a really fun experience. There was, there was a guy, a country music singer named Hoyt Axton, who wrote Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog and Bony Fingers, and his mom wrote a lot of Elvis Presley hits, and he was our neighbor where we grew up in Lake Tahoe. And this man just went out of his way to read our first screenplay and became so supportive of us and brought us to LA when he came down to pick up his band and introduced us to a bunch of his friends. He just played it forward. It was just amazing, and so we, kind of try to implement that as a sidebar in our lives of just helping uh, other people. Unfortunately, we don't have a ton of time to do it. We have to be incredibly um, selectful, but it's been, um, it's just often a privilege to take these younger people through and when they sell their first movie or, or my, my son's a director, he's 25 and he just got his first gig and it was just super, super cool. And being done by Fox and you know next month and they have to go through all the COVID stuff and everything in order to do production but it's um, a very very rewarding part of what we get to do I don't know what made me even say all that but <laughs> <laughs> well we appreciate hey. it hey yeah, Carrie awesome. yes sir right right behind you on your over your left shoulder I think I see a doll I want to talk about real quick <laughs> my, my little uh, precious. My little uh, get it out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so, my question is this: the ant. Oh boy. yes, 
Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> they're really good friends. <laughs> yeah. So well, we have Annabelle twins. They're twins. Those when when they were cuz Annabelle makes her first appearance in The Conjuring, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the original Conjuring. Um, and my question is, it's a, it's originally what is in Ed and Lorraine's museum is a Raggedy Ann doll, right? Yeah. Have you, for one, have you guys seen that doll or actually been around it? We haven't no. been, we didn't uh, go in, in their um, artifacts room on, in their actual, that's at their house. They have some artifacts room. Yeah. They do have it blessed. We couldn't get the, the, the legal rights to do a Raggedy Ann uh, lookalike. Oh. Uh, because, you know, who, does Mattel want to now sell dolls that little girls can cuddle that are possessed? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, James, this is actually James' design. He worked with a, uh, a, a, a very talented um, uh, artist who, who sculpted it out of clay. And he would show up uh, and say, what do you think of this? And James like, bring the cheeks in more, do this, do that. So they kind of work together in creating that doll. So um, that was that was how that one came about. But when when um, uh, I was telling you the story that New Line called us and said, hey, man, Friday night opening is huge. Come, come, you know, celebrate with us. They gave everybody an Annabelle doll was part of their marketing thing. So <laughs> we're in a restaurant where everybody's just, Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, and doing other things that I won't mention, but uh, it was uh, it was just kind of a fun beginning, you know. That's awesome. That yeah. that was always I was always curious about that side of it, just because for one, I was curious on your. I I think Ed was already passed away before yeah. you guys yeah. started yeah. writing, right? But Lorraine was still around. So your guys is uh, writing and. And I think just the actors, I'm not sure what they're, I can't remember the names of Ed and Lorraine in the movies, but just their, how they work so well together, you just buy into it, like in the movie itself. Um, Throughout the whole movie, you're just like, Ed feels like your dad. Like you feel like Ed would really take care of you. He'd go above and beyond. And Lorraine's just that same way. I think that that's what, to me, really sells those movies is just mm-hmm. because yeah. what the, what they bring to the table. Um, one question is, <clears throat> and so I'm a musician, of course. Carrie, we've talked about this. Um, You're a good musician, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Um, I did a cover of, of uh, Elvis's song, um, what is it now off the top of my head? I can't remember. It's in the second Conjuring movie when Ed is. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Fool's Rush in. That's yeah. Fool's Rush in, yeah. Yeah. And that was, was that improv? I felt like that was improv or was it actually written into the script that he was going to do? So that? that was a James Wan idea. Um, and uh, he went up to Patrick and he said, dude, can you sing? I haven't even, I don't even know if you can sing. And it turns out Patrick goes, yeah, I, I love to sing. And he just, James felt at that moment that the, it's the roller coaster moment. We need to breathe. We need some happiness. We need some, just to expand this, this family in despair. And so uh, James uh, told uh, Pat that this is the song I want you to sing. And so Patrick, you know, wholeheartedly embraced it. He, he's that kind of, uh, the entire cast was just, wonderful that uh, Patrick Wilson is his name and Vera Farmiga plays Lorraine um, Lorraine um, 
in our movies, but, but no, no, the question, that was, that was James' idea. Chad and I had written that line in there saying where, where um, the mother says, when my husband left, you know, he, he, you know, all the music, he took the music out of the house and said, you know, Patrick's like, yeah, I get it. And she goes, no, literally, he took all the music, all the records, everything. So for us as a character, you know, uh, uh, Ed Warren would step into that patriarch's role of that family, right, right. the family, the dad's gone and all of that. But, you know, for Chad and I, when we, when we say, what is the conjuring? At the heart of the conjuring is a love story between Ed and Lorraine Warren. They are the perfect couple. They are a love thy neighbor. They will give you the shirts off their back. But they work so well together, you know? They respect each other. It's, it's like a great mother-father role. And that was intentional, you know, that you wanted to, you need to have a steady, something steady in these worlds, you know? Everything else is going to hell in a handbasket. But where's the calm, you know? And it's kind of like when Ed Lorraine stepped into that story of The Conjuring, it's like you're in act three of the parents' lives. I mean, th this is like, God, it's crazy. And then we purposely wanted that the people, the experts, how do you tell it from their point of view and what rattles them? And then how do we tug and pull at that relationship We've been able to carry that in the first couple Conjuring movies, you know, promises made to each other, you know, and Ed, you promised, you know, and in Conjuring 2, he's, he can't stop himself. He has to go save people when he can. But you promise, I know, Lorraine, I know I promise, I know I promise, I'm sorry, you know? And then her, her love for him drives her to go help him, you know? And those are the heroes you want. That's the, that's the family dynamic Chad and I love in the movies, in San Andreas, Dwayne and, and, and his wife, you know, Carla, Regina, you know, all those separating, going through all different things, you know, oh yeah, we have an earthquake movie going on, but it's really uniting this fractured family at the center of that movie. So yep. anyway. <clears throat> what, what was it like working with The Rock? Oh, he's awesome. He's a, <laughs> he's a, he's a great, great guy. Karen and I, uh, it's really funny story when we wrote San Andreas, um, the producer, Bo Flynn, was working on Hercules with, with Dwayne. We didn't know any of this was going on in the background. And Karen and I both woke up to a text on our phones. Uh, hey, dudes, I love your script. Let's circle the wagons and get to work. DJ. And I went, or Dwayne Johnson. We go, and we called each other. I go, this can't be Dwayne Johnson. I don't even know Dwayne Johnson. How, how, how did he get our number or whatever? And, and Karen and I both wrote back and like, you know, give me a break. Who is this? You know, like we know. And he wrote back right away and goes, it's me, dude. I'm in, I'm in Romania with Bo Flynn, the producer of the movie. I dig your script. We're going to do this. I'm really excited. And we just went, yes, this <laughs> thing ever. And then when we, um, when we met Dwayne, it was, we went on the phone with him quite a bit. And we didn't meet him until we were in Australia. And his stunt double is his cousin, and his name is Tenawai. And he has virtually identical tattoos all over his body because he does doubles Dwayne all the time. And so Karen and I are walking up to the sound stage, and, and this guy comes between us, puts his big arms around us, bros, bros, has to finally meet you. And I turn around, and I'm like, wow, you are not nearly as big as I thought you were. It's like, <laughs> the same. It turns out it was his cousin just giving us a hard time. And then Dwayne came up uh, right behind him uh, afterwards. And, and it, it was really fun. We ended up writing another movie for Dwayne, uh, an MGM film that actually never 
never made it to screen called uh, SEAL Team 666, which he was on like a SEAL team that fights the demonic, you know, and uh, which he was really, really into. Um, just a lovely guy. Just, just like what, what you see in person and his personality. And we met him before he was married to Lauren, but Lauren was in Australia with him. And she's just as lovely as he is. He's got a, an ex-brother-in-law, Hiram, who is an awesome guy as well that, um, you know, is his producing partner. And put it this way, he's such a nice guy that his ex-wife, Danny, is his manager. And when Danny got remarried, he walked her down the aisle. And I mean, that's just still how tight they all are, which is really, it's a big testament. People love, love, love working with you know, we, uh, on that site. A great story about Dwayne was um, when Chad and I were down there shooting that Chad unfortunately broke his ankle uh, in a boating accident. And um, uh, so I had, uh, and we we're just oh, getting ready to actually come home. And so he, he was gonna have a prolonged stay because he couldn't fly, he had to do surgeries. And my son Sawyer, my youngest son, was asked to speak at his high school graduation. And so I wasn't going to be able to make it back. And, and Sawyer's gone, you know, he threw his own challenges in high school. And they were so pleased with how he kind of turned his life around that he was asked to speak. And it was a big moment. And I was talking to my wife. I'm like, oh, God, man, I feel so bad. What am I going to do? And she goes, hello, are you doing this movie with? Who's your son's biggest fan? So I went to Dwayne. And I go, you got to help me out. I go, I go, can you, can, can we shoot a little video and you just talk to Sawyer, you know, uh, you know, about high school and all that. So he goes, yeah, sure. So he's, uh, it was so funny because we, uh, we did it on the set of, um, on the gimbal where the boat was. And it was a really cool, heartfelt message to Sawyer. Hey man, your dad told me about your journeys. I can relate. I've had my challenges. And, and, and Sawyer could care less if I ever came home after that. <laughs> I think I I saw that video on your Facebook page. Too. You may have. Yeah. We may have to steal a clip from that. <laughs> he's, he's a pretty cool guy. We've worked with some pretty amazing people over, over our career. Yeah, because you guys awesome. even work working on because uh, this year, right? This year is the 15th anniversary of House of Wax, right? The the year that you guys killed off Paris Hilton, right? <laughs> I'm Paris guy May 6. I'll never forget that T-shirt. It was like, yeah. crazy. Um, so you guys were working with Jared Padalecki before he became um, Sam on on Supernatural. Yeah, that was the beginning. Yeah, and that was like one of his first ones. And then it was he was in Friday the Thirteenth. After that, um, or the remake, or the yeah. reboot, um, and and Chad Michael Murray, um, all those when they were young. Like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and my question is like, I feel like you guys have a lot of movies that like really accelerate a lot of people's careers. Like after you write, they're in your movies, then all of a sudden. They're like, hey, I kind of want to do these horror movies, or they're like, hey, I'm gonna stick to the supernatural stuff. Like, literally, that's what Jared Padalecki did. You know, yeah, he did. many years, many years. You know, it's interesting, Nick, because you Wait, think Nick, about. What are you gonna say? You're saying something? Oh no, that was it. Yeah. Okay. I, I was gonna say that. You know, we told you when Chad and I did House of Wax, we that was our new ship. Now we're kind of the horror writer guys, right? I think as actors, you get in a certain thing where you can shine. Jared was awesome. 
You know, like, it was so good. So yeah. good in that. And watching his face get waxed, all that stuff was so trippy. But uh, <laughs> you know, but it's now because it resonated with an audience, they want to see more of that. You know, mm-hmm. so I think somebody has an opportunity, or like any good movie where you have a good actor, you get that chance to shine. And and you know, we had a light shine on us where we got the opportunity to do other type of movies. You know, very much like an actor. But I think you know, like good actors, uh, given the right opportunity you know, will continue to work, um, you know, and how long was Supernatural on? 15 years. Yeah, 15 years. It was literally like the day after you guys stopped filming, yeah, he, he went on to Supernatural. You know, you know what, Nick, too, is um, it was interesting because that entire cast, they were all television actors, all on separate shows. Alicia Cuthbert was in 24 at the moment. Chad was on uh, One Tree Hill. It, it just went on and on like that. And then maybe what the public doesn't know is in filming the finale of that movie with the wax melting and all that, the entire soundstage actually burnt down and melted and was one of the producers, uh, Susan Downey, um, she married Robert now, but um, she was a producer on, on that film. In her office, she actually has a piece of one of the cameras that's all melted down encased in glass where it was, but um, so they shut down production and this was the last scene that they were filming and they had to rebuild the entire set and then imagine getting six actors back together that are all on tv schedules at a time so literally it took them nine months to clear schedules and they flew them all to australia to film for four days and then came back and re-shot that ending and ironically when karen and i were down in australia doing house of wax i mean um and andreas the rumors got out like Oh, you burnt Soundstage Six because that was us returning to the House of Wax set, and we were refilming San Andreas. And they were like, "God, I hope you're not cursed or anything," you know. Yeah, it's, it doesn't it doesn't turn out to be like a poltergeist. This thing. <laughs> How many times does that happen on on uh, the sets of these? Just like creepy, weird things happening. Well, Chad, shall it share the story of Dylan in the? Oh Arctic my God, room. my son! Carrie mentioned earlier, we brought our boys out, our Carrie's uh, oldest and my only son, um, to work on the film. And Dylan ended up working for John Leonetti, who was the cinematographer on the film. John is an old old friend of ours, and most of the time in Hollywood, they don't want you to hire on your kids because they just think I'm going to babysit these bratty little Hollywood kids, you know, that just don't want to work and. It's such the opposite with our boys. They're both very hard workers, and we were really into it. My son was going to film school at the time. Anyway, he gets hired by John Leonetti, and when because movies, when you're filming, it's it's very expensive for electricity and all this kind of stuff because you have so much going on filming at night. On this particular night, we we're filming in the artifacts room that would have been recreated, but in a real house in Wilmington. And my son was he is a cable puller, so every night. The crew has to go in, wrap the cables, everything on the ground. You don't leave anything there. You put it back in the truck and, and all the lights are off because you go, that's a cut, that's a wrap. You let your your cast clear the set and then and then uh, literally they put flashlights in their mouth and then just get to work and just start walking around. And he goes into the artifacts room by himself, rolling up cable, flashlight across the artifacts. And he, and he goes by and then he hears this really weird spinning noise and he turns around and you'll see it's after the monkey part, there's a little um, round symbol thing that somehow went from the shelf onto the ground and was spinning very, very quickly. And my son, 
lasted, my son's six four, by the way, he lasted about three seconds. He got out of there. He ran out. Scott was his boss. And Scott, what the hell are you doing? He goes, I'm not going back in there. You're, you can't make me go back in there. I'm not going back in there. And, uh, and, and then that happened another time to someone else. Um, and then Lorraine, when she came onto the set and we were in, in interior in the, in the, um, house. the house that we rebuilt in the soundstage, she walked around and she had them remove certain things that had been purchased. But she goes, you guys, you know, darkness can, can attach themselves to, to some of these things. And they just obliged her. One was a dresser. One was a remake of the Annabelle doll that was just someone had found at some old um, flea market somewhere. Um, and she just said, no, you got you to gotta get rid of that. Hey, here's a piece of trivia. When we did uh, House of Wax, initial, some of the initial, uh, uh, there was some sacrificial knives and stuff that were created. And somebody just got on the internet and took this and used real stuff and real incantations and all of that. And no, that was uh, reaping, Carrie. That was in the reaping. Oh, reaping. I'm sorry. Yeah, reaping. And uh, and some weird stuff started happening where they're like, and then I forget who came there and said, you can't use real, you know, it wasn't, wasn't something we had written, you know, as far as what it was, but it was very symbolic. So they had to rechange everything uh, because somebody had, just use literal, you know, literal designs and like uh, literal li pagan symbols and stuff that had real meaning behind them. And yeah. Yeah. you know, you don't want any of that. No. Yeah, way. you're kind of messing yeah. with fire. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe keep that where it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, no, we had to when we we're doing the reaping. We shot that in Baton Rouge, uh, uh, and the, the entire crew had to be evacuated twice for hurricanes and oh. flew to Texas. Got out plane and of 80 90 people had to go to texas so so maybe it has something to do with it i don't know <laughs> hey have you guys i think i don't know if it was the omen series that you guys i was reading at one time was well, we'll e, this, yeah. yeah was eli roth a part of that yeah he was attached to direct yeah. it okay. yes okay so that's who i want to see you guys work with is eli roth because he like takes stuff to well gruesome next level yes. um you <laughs> yeah. know the Eli green, loves blood <laughs> green, green inferno is uh i don't know if you guys saw that or not yeah. green inferno. Yes. oh my gosh like the it's first brutal. yeah you the know, first first hour you're like i'm gonna throw up maybe so nick <laughs> literally literally when the 4k announcement of rad came out chad and i got an email from eli going Dudes, why did we never talk about this? I'm a huge Rad fan. He goes, well, I had no idea you were Rod and Rex. <laughs> Not something we wear on our forehead, you know? It's like... Uh, God, I forgot about that, Gary. Um, he's, he's an awesome guy. Very, very talented. Um, and just a super great guy. Um, when we were developing The Devil Came to St. Louis, he was very, very involved in being part of, of the pitches and coming in with Karen and I. And we sold it to... Uh, Amazon, Amazon. Yeah. Amazon, and wrote the first couple of episodes, ended up not going uh, for reasons unbeknownst to us, but that just, that happens, you know, um, but it was, it was fun. And literally in that rad exchange, we were like, yeah, let's find something to do. And that's kind of how it works, you know, it's like, you will have heard of something and hey, does this interest you? Or I have this book, let's go in and, and Lorenzo Di Bonaventura was the producer on it. And Lorenzo Probably one of the top five producers. You 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 know all his movies. I can't even list all of them. Um, and he's a he was another awesome guy. Kind of put our whole team together and how we met Eli for the first time. 
but he's crazy fun. The guy's got the greatest sense of humor. He's yeah. dark. Yeah, he's yeah, dark. He is dark. <laughs> I know. Oh. I, I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's one of the in ten years, whenever this podcast super grows real big, he's he's going to be another guest. Um, and, He'd uh, love you gonna, guys. He would. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about Green Inferno and the association to uh, what was the original to Green Inferno? Um, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah. So <clears throat> so um, well gonna probably start to wrap this up we've been on here almost an hour and a half and oh, oh my god yeah. <laughs> hey, um, hey, time flies when you're having fun it is <laughs> yep um so thank you guys honestly for coming on here taking the time out of your day to come and talk to some guys from nebraska uh or who currently live in nebraska so <laughs> Um, we truly appreciate it. the Rad Country uh, family is going to really appreciate this interview and, and everything. I think one of the biggest things and why I wanted to have you guys on here was not only because I know you uh, or I know Carrie and now know Chad, but uh, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes on movies and all we see are the actors, right? Because all, all I see is you see San Andreas, you think The Rock. Of course, that's where my brain went initially. Um, but you don't know who the people are that are working behind it, who wrote the script, who made the actual screenwriting happen. And I wanted to bring that to light and see, let people know that, hey, there's, there's a whole world uh, going on behind the scenes on these movies. And we really need to appreciate, because without you guys, those movies wouldn't have happened, right? The way that they happened. So... Yeah, so thank you for what you guys do, honestly. Um, that's a big appreciation to you guys, especially m myself as a horror fan. Justin, I think Justin really loved like the questions I kept getting. He wanted to know your guys' processes and how you run the business and what you guys, um, how you guys do things. And from both of us, I think that we, in this past hour and a half, we got everything that we, we wanted to get. Right. <laughs> You know what, uh, Nick? Yeah, meeting you and Justin for for the first time. Carrie's spoken so highly about you in the past, so it's really a pleasure to actually meet you guys. You know, across the screen for sure. Um, absolutely, our pleasure. If your if your listeners weren't satisfied with like some questions we missed, let's do it again. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of yeah, for sure. And, um, I was I was actually going to. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. Go ahead, Justin. I was just going to uh, piggyback on what you're saying. I was, I was hoping we could do a round two at some point sure. and uh, dig into the aliens uh, because <laughs> yeah. that's also yeah. fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a whole different ballpark. <laughs> Perfect. I, We're going to set aside three hours for that one. All right. You, all right. <laughs> you, 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 might, you might need it. Karen, I've been involved with that story six years and we were going to make it into a movie and then so much happened with those characters that we now turn it into a tv series because it's just it involves the vatican the government cover-ups you guys art depictions say. of the 14th century i mean all we could go another three hours here so yeah, we forget it <laughs> yeah you, let's wrap up this one we'll plan for episode uh, two yeah around two sounds great, two. <laughs> sounds great. Um, but once again thank you guys so much and uh Hey, if you guys uh, on our podcast here, um, what are some movies? What would what would if if nobody's ever watched one of your movies? Which one would you say? Hey, go watch this tonight. Uh, the Conjuring, yeah. I would say The Conjuring. Probably, I would it's it, only because it it appeals to secular and non secular. And if if you don't go to a horror movie because you think it promotes 
the demons and the dark side of you are just dead wrong. You know, we try to create genre movies that have redemptive qualities to them where the good guy wins. Uh, and you might be pleasantly surprised in that movie. And it will open up a whole universe to of a, a bunch of different movies that you can now binge watch during the COVID-19. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need something to do on a Saturday? Yeah, go watch all the movies. <laughs> yep, this is the perfect time for that. Justin but, found out for himself. Oh, yeah. uh, that's Absolutely. so fun. Kind of fun I, mean, I want to throw it back at you guys just for reaching out and, and bringing Karen and I in. Yeah, it's, it's always behind the camera. The viewer should also realize that any shot you see in a movie, just behind the point of view, there's generally about 90 people standing around wait watching these scenes unfold so it isn't just the screenwriters it's it's the gaffer it, it's everyone as everyone is a moving part and you know it's like you can draw the house you can build the house or who builds the house who puts the furniture into the house who costumes what the people are wearing so um there there's a lot to it and i i and probably carry as well just appreciate you guys bringing that out in the forefront because they're not just us as screenwriters because we we get notoriety and you know we we get all that stuff but to all the other people who just go on from job to job to job um and take it as seriously as we do movies couldn't be made without them either so. it's a it's a team effort definitely and creatively but i want to say really quick you know justin nice to see your face nick awesome i'm so excited for you and your kid you know, send Thanks. pictures, man. Send yeah. pictures. I got to oh, see. I will. <laughs> uh, and and you guys, both of you, wish you the best of luck with your podcasts and your yeah. other endeavors. And you know, it's been a complete pleasure. Hour and a half of such uh, fun. Um, of course, why is it more fun? Chad and I are talking about us. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. uh, to your listeners out there, I just hope it keeps growing because you know, there's so many. Uh, opportunities in these podcasts but uh thank you guys for reaching out to us. yeah and anytime that you guys are in the midwest and uh you know after covid just give us a call swing in and we'll do this do this in person that would be, be really that fun. would be really fun that would yep. be great too. I'd love awesome. To that. awesome thank all you right, guys. guys all right man take, take care, care. Have a great day. happy yep. sunday bye bye, bye. bye.